You're listening to Hope for Today Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining in this virtual space. We believe that as you listen, Jesus will minister to you right where you are. So open up your mind and your heart to what the Word would say to you today. Thank you for joining us. And remember, Jesus is our hope for today. We pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, rest upon them and you would minister to their body and you would heal them of all symptoms and ailments right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for your healing touch and the love that you have for us. We thank you, Lord. Um, We're going to continue in our series, Truths to Live By. Uh, Today it's entitled, Jesus is My Life. Jesus is my life. And we began this series over uh, two months ago, and we began with consecrate yourself to the Lord, and you will be blessed. Consecrate yourself to the Lord, and you will be blessed. And, and really, Jesus is my life is something that we can really, you know, gravitate towards, and help, it will help us on a daily basis as we go through our week. Uh, I really believe that. I don't think you need me to tell you that. If Jesus is your life, and you're keeping that in the back of your mind, he's going to help you and steer you in all things. Any decision you make, you can say, Jesus, is this what you'd have for my life? Uh, and so that's the, the theme for today. Jesus is my life. And so we're going to return to Acts chapter 3, verse 15. And Peter says to those in attendance, he says, By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in front of you all. And now, brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance, just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through, the, through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Therefore, repent and turn back, so your sins may be wiped out. The seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as Messiah. Heaven must receive him, until the time of restoration of all things which God spoke about through his holy prophets and from the beginning. Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters, and you must listen to everything he tells you. And everyone who does not listen to that prophet will be completely cut off from the people. In addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days... You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors, saying to Abraham, and all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. God raised up his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your evil ways. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it reaches forward to us today. Lord, you have always intended for us to be drawn by you, by the power of your spirit, by the glory of your wonderful might. And Lord, as we glean from your word this afternoon, may it go beyond just hearing. May we ingest it. May we partake upon it. For you are good. And that you have a great plan and purpose for our life as we look to you. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, you've got to love that section of the passage where Peter emphasizes seasons of refreshing, refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, this is a part that I've been gravitating towards. I can't get past this passage of Scripture because of the very statement, refreshing, times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus, if you're my life, the light of my life, you're going to lead me in times of refreshment. You know, when you're outside and maybe you're doing yard work and the sun is beating down gear and you're ripping off that steel roof or whatever you're doing, as the sun comes down, when you partake of that drink after that long day's work, it's refreshing. It's refreshing. The sweat of your brow, the work that you've done, and yet after you've guzzled that refreshing drink, You're not fully satisfied anymore. You want more. And in many respects, when we look to the word of God, as we read, as as we partake, he promises that out of you will flow rivers of living water and you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. We're told in Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Think about that. When Christ, who is your life, appears, that when he returns, we will be with him in glory. This afternoon, as we continue in this part of passage of Scripture, our takeaway point for today is this, and I don't have a point for this. As we turn in repentance, repentance to Jesus, who is our life, we can anticipate seasons of refreshing. As we turn to Jesus, who is our life, we can anticipate seasons of refreshing. Anticipation is defined as this, the action of anticipating something. The action of anticipating, the action of expecting and predicting that something is going to occur. But an action must take place. You know, we all go to dinner parties. I love it when people call up Megan or send us a text message, hey, you guys want to have dinner Friday night? We're like, yeah. And you're expecting, you're looking forward to that, that hangout and the time together. Maybe someone has a, an air fryer, going to have some delicious wings, or maybe they've called, you know, Pizza Hut and your favorite deep dish pizza is on the way, and you're living with expectation for that time together. We go to sporting events and the same kind of expectations and desires. Why would it be any different from our relationship with the Lord? When we come into this place, and of course we know Scripture tells us clearly that he doesn't dwell or be confined to a place such as this. That he dwells within each one of us. But when we live with a place of expectation, he says, you will be filled. And this is something I've been trying to wrap my heart and my mind around. Lord, if I come to you, if I, if I truly hunger and all things genuine of you, you're going to fill me to overflowing. Fill us to overflowing. We think of that song, oh Lord, you do great things. Do you believe that he does great things? We all have testimony, and that's the the very things and stories we want to continue to encourage and to share in the coming days and weeks as we gather as an assembly. You know, this past week, the guys and us got together Tuesday night. Uh, It was a great time of looking to the word of Bible study, but I have to say we had a very powerful, genuine time of prayer afterwards. We, we didn't want to leave. We were, we were lingering. We, we went praying as the Lord would, would bring people to mind. And it was such a sweet time in the presence of the Lord. 
That when you come with the expectation, he's in your midst, but he's going to fill you. He's going to fill you. And the apostle Paul told the believers in Corinthians, he says this in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. And just for a moment, have you ever stopped to remember what amen means? So be it. Let it be so. Lord, like Mary said, let it be done to me according to your word. Lord, if your words are spirit and life, give me life. Let it be so. Amen, Paul says. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal upon us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. And Paul is emphasizing, so people didn't get this wrong, that in order for you to encounter every blessing in Christ, that's going to flow from his very presence by his spirit. You can't do it. You can't check the boxes within yourself. He's reminding the Corinthians that by the Holy Spirit given us as his down payment, he's going to lead you in this promise, that anointing that comes from the Lord, the times of refreshing. And so he emphasizes this Holy Spirit that each of us have, his living and dwelling presence. And if Jesus was right here, we say it all the time, what would Jesus do? And in this situation, we could believe that he'll help us turn from the things that we shouldn't be partnering with. Remember those bracelets? What would Jesus do? At one point, you know, as a young person, you think, well, this is kind of corny, kind of cliche, kind of like, eh. But now you think about it, they were right on. What would Jesus do when someone cuts you off on the highway? What would Jesus do? You know, you think of all these different examples. When someone tells you how to tie your child's school lace at ice skating, what would Jesus do? I have to admit, several weeks ago, my wife reminded me, I had a, you know, a kind man uh, suggest that there was a certain way to, to tie my daughter's skates. And I looked over and said, I got it. His spirit teaches us in all things. And I thought about that this afternoon. If his spirit teaches us in all things, how often do we really get behind that? In all things. The apostle Paul, he's speaking from firsthand experience. You know, he's exhorting Titus. He tells in chapter two, verse eight, as you remember that point, he says this, your message is to be sound beyond reproach. And we should have this in the scriptures there. Your message is to be sound beyond reproach. Titus two, verse eight. So that any opponent will be ashamed because he doesn't have anything bad to say about us. Slaves are to submit to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating other faithfulness so they may adorn the teaching of God, our Savior, and everything. That word adorn is to hang it, to bind it upon yourself like the what would Jesus do bracelets. This is supposed to be, you know, part of your branding, who you are in Christ. And you have to appreciate again, look, you need to be like this, well-pleasing, not talking back. But he emphasizes, this isn't all on you. You're not on your own. Look at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Without his grace, we're nothing. He says, bringing salvation for all people. 
instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lust. Think about it. Salvation means to save us from a detrimental error of our ways. We had a loss of life, a loss of hope, but through the grace and favor of God, his love for us, demonstrated through Jesus Christ, we have been rescued from the pit of hell, from the pit of sin and darkness, and he's saying, I'm with you, and that same Holy Spirit that's forgiven you says, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. I'm going to read that again. And to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in this present age. And Paul goes down to encourage, you know, Titus. He says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's reminding the people there, this isn't, you know, a, a worthless mission. This is important. This matters. Jesus, our hope of glory, he's coming back. And he's instructing Titus then in a very strong exhortation, which means to strongly encourage and to urge someone to act. Remember that word, action? That time on earth is so brief Hold the line. Hold on the teaching. Adorn it upon yourself. Hold that line. Think about that level of urgency. When you can appreciate, this is something that I'm growing in, when I can truly appreciate the love that God has for me, everything that he's accomplished for you and I, when we know how much we love and the favor that we carry, we can live from that place of joyful urgency. I don't mean fearful urgency, I mean joyful urgency. And I was reminded in preparing for today, like ticker take, uh, ticker take on the screen, this can only happen when Jesus is our life, when Jesus is our focus, when we're directed upon him. We're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, this is what Paul says to the believers in Colossus. He says, we proclaim Christ, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It doesn't say immature. He says mature. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Here Paul again is reiterating, I'm not doing this under my own excellent bench press strength. I'm doing this by the power of the spirit that works within me, that has taught me the wisdom that I have gleaned over this life. He's learned the life lessons. He's beginning to preach from the reservoir of the grace in life that he's encountered in Christ. Remember that promise that Peter says? Times of refreshing will come from the very presence of the Lord. Hello, when Paul was on the road to Damascus, this violent persecutor of the church came and had an intimate encounter with the Lord Jesus that transformed his very life. And he was blinded, and at one point when he was healed, scales came off his eyelids so that he could see life in the way that God designed him to see for the very first time. He had gone about it completely the wrong way up to that point. He was zealous for the Lord, but in the wrong focus. And so Paul, from this place of experience in 1 Corinthians 59, says, for I am the least of the apostles. Look at his humility here. 
not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. You can put yourself right in here. Because of the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. I so appreciate the statement of Paul because as a believer, you don't just sit on the cushion of forgiveness. We are to be poised in actionable next steps by the grace and favor of the Lord. This excites me because I, like you, I'm still a work in progress. My brother can testify that I can be, you know, funky at times, and, and the Lord is still working on me. But by the very grace of God, we're able to be transformed. Look how he says again, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. He went from this violent persecutor, putting people in chains, sanctioning their murder to the point where he was there as a young man at the, at the killing of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. At the very feet, the cloaks of these men that were stoning Stephen to death were laid at his feet. He was accomplice to murder. And this didn't go beyond the gaze of God, but you have to appreciate the grace and love of our Father that he turned Paul's life around. You don't have to be a murderer to resonate what Paul's been through. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all been engaged as, as Titus is encouraged by Paul to engage in a sensible, righteous way in this world. We've all engaged in ways that are not uh, appropriate for kingdom living. And so Paul's reminding us, he's saying, essentially, I know what it is to be forgiven, and I know what it is to be transformed. Transformed. Look what Paul says young Timothy. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This saying is trustworthy, and deserving of full acceptance, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, Just keep it there. And I am the worst of them. If you could just go back to the next verse. Yep. He came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst. You have to appreciate the beginning. He sets it off by saying, this saying is trustworthy. We go through this world, and people claim statements of absolute truth. And we know that there's no such thing as a real guarantee anymore. Warranties of, in many respects have gone out the world. And yet Paul is saying to this, here's something that you can bank on. Here's the very truth and deserves full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners and I'm the worst of them. And if Jesus can turn around the life of Paul and everything that he was engaged in, can he not, is he not faithful to turn your life around in the areas in maybe which you've been rebellious? This gives me hope because there's areas in which I, I lean and glean on the word of God that promises he is faithful and he will complete the work that he's begun. In verse 16, he says, I receive mercy for this reason so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Look at the patience of God. Because of his foreknowledge, he's aware of what is going to occur. 
and yet he was patient with Paul. He's aware, the, the, the Psalms tell us in Psalm 139, he's aware of every word before we even speak it. Talk about patience. He knows when I was at the skating rink and the parents spoke up, he knew how I was going to respond. Now, thankfully, if this was like, I'm going to say 20-something years ago, it might have been a little more colorful. Not saying I'd be using all these, you know, words you have in a curse jar. No, no way am I saying that. But it would have been probably a little more colorful. Refreshment and favor comes from the very presence of the Lord. I remember when I was in Master's Commission, one of these uh, skits that we did, and it was actually... Uh, in line with the song from the Sugar Plum Fairy. It just sounded cool. And you'd be sitting on this couch and it would be depicting all the life scenarios that one young person may face. And you could imagine all the different life lessons that would be depicted in this scene. And every time when the decision is about to be made, in would, in walk would, Jesus would walk in with his sash and sit down in the middle of you as you're about to make that decision. So that the crowd, those who are watching, would be poised with the statement, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? You know, there's many times where I'll be sitting at home and I'm reflecting on conversations and I appreciate how the leading of the Spirit would say to me, you know, Andrew, this is how you should have gone about that conversation. There's grace for you. The next time you're engaged in the conversation, be a little more graceful. Be a little more patient. Here, Paul, he's saying his extraordinary patience. Extraordinary patience. How many of you are patient? <laughs> you know, there's times where I, you know, my family knows really well, my own children know that I like things done a certain way. And when it's not done the way that dad would like it done, it really tests my patience. Here, again, God is uh, emphasizing or showing his extraordinary patience. We're told in the Greek for the word refreshing, ananupsis, ananupsis means this, recovery of breath and revival. And I shared this a few weeks ago, recovery of breath and revival. When you go into a hospital and someone is code blue, it's a life-threatening situation that they need immediate resuscitation and intervention. What you can appreciate when you understand this cold blue in the area of the spiritual realm and the supernatural, that he's aware of every waking moment that when we're tested and facing a life-threatening spiritual situation. And his warring angels are right there with us by the power of his spirit to give us direction as we lean into his life-giving presence. But when we forsake his leading, and glean those of other voices and other, uh, uh, their, their appraisal and their affirmation, it could lead to code black. But Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. What are you anticipating? What are you expecting the Lord to do in your life? Because as we look at these words, whether it's Peter uh, after the day of Pentecost or Paul encouraging young Timothy and Titus as they're leading churches and leading people to faith in Christ, we're being encouraged to anticipate and expect great things from our mighty God and Savior. 
a hunger linked with expectation. Expectation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says this, Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. Faith is the exercise, the action of stepping out, even when you can't fully comprehend what God is going to do, but you're trusting that he's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. And we looked at on Tuesday night as the men met together. One of the things that can sidetrack us, it's when we focus on the wrong advice, look to the wrong affirmation or the appraisal of people and what their words would say over our lives. But when we live this expectation, the Lord can direct us and guide us. When he's our true spiritual drink, times of refreshing will come. Brad brought this verse on Tuesday night. I was so thankful he did because I have it right here in my notes. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 4, talks about the people of God when they were in the wilderness, when things looked tough. It says they all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. That rock was Christ. They all drink of the same spiritual drink. What's your go-to drink? You know, who are the, the voices that you're entertaining today? And when we look at this part in Acts, Peter's reminding the people that all things are being restored in Jesus Christ. That times of refreshing are, refreshing are coming. And so that this restoration harvest can only totally be realized in Jesus and Jesus alone. In Romans 8, 11, we're told this, and I'm sure many of this maybe even have this on your fridge, or maybe it's one of the verses you've memorized, and perhaps you start your day with it. Romans 8, 11, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring life to your mortal bodies by the spirit who lives within you. And what I appreciate about and so deeply love about this promise of the word is that when we look to Jesus, who are, is our life, when we're dealing with thoughts and emotions, maybe, you know, depression or onslaught of you name it, we can come to him and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you're my life, that you are the true spiritual drink. Your words are spirit and life, and I thank you in your name that I can cast that oppression and stronghold out of my life in Jesus' name. And you can watch and imagine as those chains, in many respects, are broken. We're told this in Romans 6, 4. We've been buried with Christ by baptism in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we may walk in the newness of life. Newness of life. It's like getting a new pair of uh, kicks or sneakers. There's something fresh about putting on that new pair. Well, in Jesus Christ, his mercies are new every day. Every day is a new day to walk in his grace, to walk in his favor. Yesterday is gone. You can't have it back. No one's developed a time machine as of yet. You can't go back, and so you can only live for today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your forgiveness for yesterday. Would you lead me today? 
Would you help me to open my mind and my ears to hear what you would say over my life for today? And Peter's showing us as we turn to the Lord in all of our ways, times of refreshing will come from his very presence. Times of refreshing will come from his very presence. And so the only walking away point for today is this. A hindrance to that refreshing, as I've already emphasized, is preferring the approval of people over God's affirmation. This is something, especially as a leader, that the the, the praise and approval of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. We can't live in this life based on what the crowd says or even how the crowd interprets the word of God. We need to live by his word, by the power of his spirit. That means, Andrew, you're not to live according to what your best friend says. You're not supposed to live according to what the best-selling novel on the New York Times is. You're supposed to live according to the word and the word of the Lord. You know, some people at times will say, well, you know, you know Pastor Andrew, have you, have you read this book? And there'll be times I'll read books. But I say, you know what? Unless it affirms what's in Scripture, I have no time for it. Because it's not life-giving. It's a facade. It's a masquerade. Preferring the approval of people over God's affirmation is the path of destruction. John 12, 42, we're told this. And this is Jesus. Many did not believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, so they would not be banned from the synagogue, for they loved human praise more than praise from God. They loved human praise more than praise from God. We are not unlike those that we read about in Scripture. Peer pressure was just as real back then as it is today. You look around, you look and see what is prevalent. Just go ahead and have a seat. He's just going to come play for a few minutes. Is prevalent in today's world where there's so many voices that are attacking from all different fronts that wants wants to steal this refreshing that we can have in the Lord just so that we fit in with the world. And you might be sitting here today, well, well, wait a second. The scripture says in John 2 that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature with people. And he did. The scripture's clear in Luke 2, 46, that he grew in wisdom and stature, but he never, not once, compromised the word of God. Where do you look and see where you can say, yeah, Jesus, a little bit of compromise right there. Nowhere throughout the word because Jesus who was present at the rock who gave spiritual drink to the Israelites when he was present at the writing of the Ten Commandments when he was present as he walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve he is the yesterday, today and forever he's the Alpha and the Omega he's the mighty God and Savior he never compromises his own word he is one with God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit the triune God is in complete conformity and unity he never compromises. And so don't be fooled by people who say, well, you know, you know, the God of the New Testament, he's all about affirming today's cultural lifestyles and choices. Not once. Not once did Jesus ever do it. And this is something that I have never been 
comfortable to proclaim from a pulpit because it is tough to receive. But as Paul told Timothy, he says, look, we're living in the last days. And in the last days, people become lovers of selves. They'll become lovers of doctrines that don't line up with the, the word of God. And they'll gather among them a, a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Lord, is it okay for me to engage this kind of lifestyle because you love me? Oh, thank you, Jesus. And maybe you attend a church that believes those things. Maybe you attend a church that believes that you can have a marriage between a woman and a woman. That is not scriptural. That's not in the Bible. But many times, this is what's happened in the world. We don't like what we read. We prefer what our friends and colleagues may say. And so we put on a little bit of spiritual sunblock. Spiritual sunblock, you can see that online? A little bit of spiritual sunblock. You know, Lord, I'm not really comfortable with that. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna, you know, cover myself up here. I, I want no part of that, Lord. Holy Spirit, you're welcome in all these other areas. Thank you for the forgiveness, but I don't want you to teach me in these ways, Lord. Lord, I don't want to honor my wife. No, I, I want to put her under submission. I don't want to honor her today. No, no, thank you, Lord. Spiritual sunblock. And I'm not here today to condemn anybody. I'm preaching to myself. There's times where I've put on the spiritual sunblock. But thankfully, like Paul says, he's showing us extraordinary patience. His kindness towards us isn't just to give us warm fuzzies. It says the kindness of the Lord is intended to lead you to repentance. What happens when we repent and return to the Lord? Times of refreshing will flow. What happened in Ashbury? People were repenting of their ways and lifestyles and the Holy Spirit just poured out upon them. Times of refreshing flow. Peter shows us as we turn to the Lord in all things. And so Paul told young Timothy this in 2 Timothy 4.1, I solemnly charge you before God and Jesus Christ, Timothy, who's going to judge the living and the dead, and because of his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. And this doesn't mean you go around waving a flag and saying, you're, you're dirty, you're rotten, you gotta get your life together and you walk away. No, what Paul's telling them here, by the grace of God and by the Spirit of the Lord, you walk hand in hand with those who are struggling and are being deceived by the enemy. Maybe they put on the spiritual sunblock, but I don't know if you've ever seen where someone's caked a sunblock on, you go to a water park, as soon as they get under a waterfall, it all washes off anyway. And so when we come and we speak truth that is life, life-giving water by the Spirit of the Lord, it washes off that spiritual sunblock. So he goes on to say, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to suit their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And you can fill in the gaps. I don't need to be specific, specific about certain areas. You can fill in the gaps. And if you're ever wondering where the Lord just sits or rests on any of today's, we'll call them hot button issues, just imagine you're sitting on the couch, like the big game, man. You're sitting back about to watch the football game. And you just say, Lord Jesus, 
Is this what you have for my life? You know, there's been times when we were starting this church, we were looking at different facilities and places we can go, and we're, we're so thankful that we're able to meet here. But there was a place not too far from here that there was an opportunity to gather, and we could call it our own place. But the only snake was we had to say that we will affirm that God's plan was specifically for the, the same-sex union. Couldn't do it. That's compromise. That's spiritual sunblock. How could we do that? When Jesus Christ talked to the Pharisees himself, they said, Lord. And they asked the same question. You know, tell us about the union between a man and a woman. Does it go beyond those confines? And he says, haven't you known this from the very beginning? In the garden, God made a male and female. And what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I have to tell you for a moment, it's almost like I was going to put this on. Uh-oh. Yeah, we want a place to meet. Lord's going to forgive me later. <laughs> Checking my spirit right away. Andrew, that's not for you. I've told you to plant a church in Watford because Jesus is our hope for today. For every snake, every error, every misstep, every shortcoming, his forgiveness, his mercy is new every day and his kindness is intended to lead us to repentance that we can encounter times of refreshing. So I invite you, church family, those watching online, if you walk away with anything today, that times of refreshing come to the Lord when we turn to Him. Refrain from putting on the spiritual sunblock and say, Lord Jesus, I desire to walk in Your perfect and pleasing will. And when you do that, you're going to be satisfied to overflowing. Maybe when people come, maybe the day's going to come where chains are going to be put on you, perhaps the day's coming. But like Paul, he knew that he was doing what the Lord called him to do. And so he was able to sit in that prison cell, no matter what he faced, even the point of starvation. And even to the point when they were in chains, they prayed and praised the Lord for the situation they were in. And you know what happened? The chain bars, the very prison itself, the cells began to shake. And they're released by the miraculous intervention of the Lord. Just think what the Lord can do in our life when we turn to him in all things. And so I say to you today, as we walk, as we move in this way as a church family, his, his promise is clear. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be first, will, will be filled. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. What are the desires of your heart? What are the desires of your heart? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is Jesus the Lord of your life? As the worship team comes to join Brad, we come to a time of, of prayer and response and worship. Paul said this to Timothy. After he said everything, he said this. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which is the Lord. It's had nothing to do with what Paul had accomplished. The very point was the crown of righteousness was the Lord. His righteous judge, he says, that will give to him on that day and not only me, 
but all those who love his appearing. All those who love his appearing. And so as we have this beautiful moment, as the strings are being played, the scripture says, as David played the harp, that demons even fled from Saul, those oppressive spirits desiring to to take and steer King Saul off course. And as Brad is playing the keys and the team leads us, I wanna invite you to uh, take the emblems of the Lord's Supper with me. And this beautiful reminder, think about it, that we can experience this newness of life because of what Jesus has accomplished. And the Apostle Paul said, what I received from the Lord I now pass on to you that on the evening that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he broke it and blessed it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you take this emblem, a symbol of his broken body, symbolizing the new life that we can be made whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you in your brokenness and, and taking on all infirmity upon yourself that we could be made whole. Thank you, Lord, your mercies are new every day. Thank you, Jesus. In a similar fashion, after supper, he took a cup of wine and he said, this cup in my blood is a new covenant which has been poured out for you. Do this and partake in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat of this bread, and drink of this cup. You proclaim the Lord's death and his resurrection until he returns. Will you partake with me? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, as we turn to you, as we turn to you in all of our ways, Lord, we can experience the times of refreshment even right now. Lord, I thank you for your sweet presence. Lord, the encouragement, the rebuke even seasoned with encouragement by your spirit as we glean and are being transformed by your living, enduring word. Thank you, Lord, that you lead us, that what you accomplished on Calvary was not in vain, that it has, it has, it has reached forward to today. It is powerful and breaking down the strongholds and oppression of the enemy. We thank you, Lord, your victory is our victory, and you're bringing all things together under your name. Thank you for the forgiveness, the omission, that our sins have been completely wiped out expunged from the record. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, we think of those that are not with us today, those that are on even my own heart right now. I thank you, Lord, that you have a season, a point in time when you're drawing people into yourself. 
And as we lift your name up, as we're honest, as we're living without compromise within this world in which we live, Lord, that you are moving and you are speaking and seeds are being planted and those seeds are being watered. And Lord, as your water, certainly as the catalyst, is, is, is washing over those that we have in mind here today by the power of your spirit, Lord, it would cultivate, it would blossom a rejuvenation, a freshness, a new life that can only be found in you, Jesus, for hope for today. We thank you. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, God, forgive us. Thank you, your promise of the word that when we humble ourselves and we call upon you, that you heal us and you even heal our land. We thank you, Jesus. Just in these moments, would you welcome him here? Would you welcome his manifest presence in your life this afternoon? invite him to come into your life that his sweet presence will guide you in the way of everlasting the ways and footsteps of Christ.